Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1. We're just reading six verses. It says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say this with confidence. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I want to remind you of a couple things we talked about last week. Um, Again, remember these things aren't easy. So I'm going to talk to you about three things this morning, and you're going to say, but Pastor, you don't understand what's going on in my life. And I'm going to say, actually, I don't understand exactly what's going on in your life, but I too am a struggler. And I do know what it means to struggle, and I do know what it means to face difficulties. And so while I don't know what your difficulty is, let me tell you, we all have difficulties, and we all are in the same boat. And I do know that life is tough, and I do know that when you read the call of Christ, which is always up, that seems very difficult when you're going through difficult times. Okay? So, so this is tough stuff. This is, remember, this isn't natural. This is supernatural. That's what we're here to talk about is the holy this is supernatural. We, we talked about difficulties last week and, and said, remember this church, that's where they are. Um, they're being persecuted. They're being pressured to return to Judaism. They're getting it from all sides. And then we took you to the book of Philippians. I said, remember what we learn about difficulties as we study the church in Philippi. Difficulties cause divisions. That's what they do. That's what they do. And, and, and when we face difficult times, we have this tendency to turn inward, right? And so, so what, and the problem with that is when we turn inward, we, we begin to start shedding that, that thing that Jesus says about us, that the world will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. We actually stop loving one another and just become so concerned with ourselves that we ruin our witness for Christ. And so here's the warning to these people that are facing great persecution is beware of your witness for Jesus. I know that life is tough for you, but don't ruin it. Let this be a great testimony to the world of, of your love for God and his work in your life. Through the difficult times now, still let your light shine. And that's kind of the call, right? Difficulties cause divisions. And so uh, we, 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 we covered those kind of things. And, and, and we also talked about the fact that, and we have to be honest here, We've got a very real enemy, don't we? John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And and I love you, and God loves you, but Satan doesn't. He hates you. He wants to ruin you. He wants to ruin your family. He wants to kill your testimony. He wants to sink you. That's that's who he is. Anybody testify to that? (laughs) Right? Ever had the enemy come, and you're down, and he just comes up next to you and starts kicking on you, kicking on your loved ones? It happens, doesn't it? We have a very real enemy. And so, so this conversation that we're going to have, this context, is a difficult one. Because, because life is not easy. And, and it's not like everyone that walked through the doors this morning is feeling great about themselves. And they're feeling great about their situation and their circumstance. And that's great because the gospel works in lives of people just like that. It always has. And so if you're hurting this morning, I invite you in close to hear the words of Jesus, to hear you are not alone. God has not forgotten about you, but he also has not stopped calling you upward into holiness. But here's the promise. 
You can be holy even when it's difficult because the Lord stands ready to help you. And that's what I want to talk about this morning with you, that Jesus is our help. Three things as we walk through the text. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus helps us make our marriages matter. Jesus helps us make our marriages matter. If you look at verse 4, it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Our author reminds his readers that in the midst of the difficulties they're facing, they must maintain their witness for Christ to the world. And he says one of the best ways that you can do that is is by honoring your marriage. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? In the, in the midst of difficulty, you mean, you mean that I have to focus on my spouse and I, I really have to make my marriage count? Exactly. Exactly. That's what it's saying. It says you've got to honor your marriage. That word honor is kind of a biggie in the Greek. In, in the Greek, the word honor literally uh, means precious. It means precious. When, when, it, when it says in verse 4, marriage should be honored, marriage should be precious. The, the church in the midst of persecution and pressure needed to maintain and promote this idea that marriage is precious and that it's something to be treasured. Boy, does that sound like a, a good time in our nation to hear that word? That marriage is still something that needs to be treasured and seen as Precious. And then he goes on to describe how they're supposed to do this. He says the, the marriage bed is to be kept pure. That, that, that word pure in the Greek, again, it means undefiled. It, it means literally, if we dig into to that Greek term, to be free from anything that by nature is deformed or debased. I, I can't make that stuff up. That's, that's the actual definition of that word. To keep your marriage bed pure is to keep anything deformed or debased from your, from your marriage covenant. Saying to the audience and thus to us, we've got to make our marriage matter. Even though times are tough, even though we're facing difficulties, we need to make sure that our marriages are precious and that they're pure. And then for the thick-headed people, thank goodness, he goes on to describe some more. Text about how do you do that, right? And again, we're, just, we're here looking at verse 4. Says, I've got it on the screen for you. It says that God, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. So how, how do you keep your, your, your marriage bed undefiled, right? How do you keep it from anything deformed or debased? Well, well, you make sure that these things aren't going on. That first word adulterer, it means adulterer. It, it means somebody literally that is unfaithful to their marriage vows. That's what it means. It means to put another in your spouse's place. It means to let another take your spouse's place. That's what it means, to be unfaithful. And Jesus said that's not just a physical act, but it can be emotional, it can be, it can be intellectual, that we can allow people into our lives to take our spouse's place. And the Bible says if, if, if you want your marriage to matter, that you can't do that. You have to guard from anything taking your spouse's place, right? That's how you have to make your marriage matter. And so it begins there. You can't be an adulterer. But then it moves on and it has this other descriptor, this word. It says you also can't have any sexual immorality in your marriage. You can't be sexually immoral. Now that Greek word is, is pornos. Go with it. Run with it if you like. It's what it is. It's where we get the word. and It's actually a word that's come into debate over the last couple of weeks with the Supreme Court's decision. It means literally, in the Greek, it means a man that prostitutes his body to another man or a man that indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse. I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago that because of, of, uh, 
of, of kind of our Supreme Court's decision and those in favor of gay marriage, there have been some people trying to reinterpret the Bible, now believing themselves to be biblical scholars. And I read one of their arguments, and they went through the text, Old Testament, New, just trying to explain away uh, just that homosexuality is no longer a sin. And, uh, and, and they picked on this word, pornos, specifically, which is all through the New Testament. Uh, sexual immoral- Every time you hear the word sexual immorality, it's this word, pornos. And so they picked on it, and they said, see, that, that word is a reference just to a male that was a prostitute uh, culturally. Uh, but they forget the second half of that. It says anything unlawful. And this is how they explain it. They say, well, yeah, but it wasn't unlawful in Roman culture to be gay. Well, they're right. Roman culture didn't have any laws against that. Here's the problem. This wasn't written to Gentile Romans. This book was written to Christian Jews. That's who this book was written to. And when they received this word, not for a moment did they think uh, that unlawful sexual practice had anything to do with how the government defined it. They always believed that unlawful sexual practice had to do with what God defined it as, right? And, and so, so again, I'm just saying the bar is raised. And, and, and in the midst of life's difficulties, saying, listen, I know that life is tough for you, but you have to maintain and promote this idea of the fact that marriage is precious. Now, some people would say, Pastor, that sounds a little bit like morality to me. So you've got this new kind of generation of people that want to divorce morality from the church. There's only one problem with that is Jesus never did that. In fact, you know that Jesus took the moral laws of God and actually, he says, I didn't come to abolish them, right, but to fulfill them. And so he says, let's talk about some morality, by the way. You've heard it said that you shouldn't commit murder. Let me tell you this. You shouldn't even be angry at your brother. So I'll, I'll, here, here's God's heart on that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't even hold a grudge, right? You, you, you shouldn't even be angry. He, he said, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I tell you, you, you shouldn't even have lustful thoughts about someone. You shouldn't even do that, okay? You've heard it said you should love your neighbor. Let me tell you the truth. You should actually love your enemy. See, Jesus never dismisses morality. He just says, listen, here's the call. God's heart for you is to be this kind of person. And guys, that bleeds over into our marriages. We're not trying to make up some kind of new definition. We're saying God has called us to holiness. And as Christians, we need to confess that we failed first. That's where we should start, right? We, we haven't counted our marriages as precious. We haven't taken our spouses and elevated them to the second highest place in all of creation in our lives. We haven't done those things. We, we haven't guarded our minds. We haven't guarded our hearts. We haven't guarded our thoughts. And so who are we to be able to look around and say, well, will you do this, you do this. Here's the commands of Christ for Christians. Make your marriage count. Make your marriage matter. I don't care how difficult life is for you right now. You better put the time and the effort and the energy into your marriage. It's got to count. But here's the good news. You won't be alone. Because it's tough, right? Have good friends in town. We got to go out the uh, other night. And we, we got to eat and uh, thank goodness the Hubbard's babysat for us for like 17 hours. Because um, all of a sudden we look down and we're like, oh my gosh, it's really late. Uh, we're driving home as fast as we can, abiding by all the laws of the land. <sighs> I, was, I was on the tollway, so it wasn't too bad. So, uh, And uh, one of the things we talked about just catching up is, man, life is hard. 
Marriage is hard. Guys, it's, it's going to be hard when you're facing trouble in life to, to put your marriage up here. But it doesn't mean that when life gets difficult, you don't put your marriage up here. It just means that you remember there's help. There's help. And we need to ask Jesus for that help. So we've got to start there, okay? Number, n- number, number two. All right, so our marriages have to count. No, no form of adultery, nothing that would violate God's law uh, found in our marriages. Uh, number two, I want you to see this morning that Jesus helps us make sure money isn't our motivator. Jesus helps us make sure that money is not our motivator. Verse 5, uh, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And so difficulties cause divisions, right? We turn inward. We start worrying about ourselves. We, we covered all that. We also mentioned the story about Jesus and Peter. Remember, Peter's walking on water, but then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins to focus on his problems. He turns inwards and, and, and he sinks. And friends, hear me. This is so true for us today. In fact, it is just plain common. What is the first place we turn when we have trouble? And be honest, it is not to God. God is the last place we turn when we have trouble. Remember that? I mean, let's, can we be honest because we're in church and we shouldn't lie lest it all crumble in on top of us, right? We only turn to God when it gets so bad that we don't know what else to do. And if you, if you are anywhere other than that, I, come talk to me. Maybe you should be up here preaching, okay? But the majority of us, when life gets tough, we immediately uh, turn inward. We avoid biblical community, which is the church. That means we don't ask for help from our small group or from our friends. We, we don't turn to God and begin asking Him for help. We only do that at the very end when we're about to lose our minds. Uh, typically, that's, that's pretty close to too late by the end, by the way. But, but anyway, so, so that's how we... So what do we do? Well, we turn inward. We try to handle it. We try to figure it out, right? So we begin to think about our problems and we begin to work through it. And do you know, it's amazing, we seem to always come to the same conclusion. There's always one problem that, that and if we just had this, everything would be easier. Money, right? That is the answer that we always come up with, right? Well, our marriage is struggling. Well, you know what? If we made more money, it wouldn't be so tough and we wouldn't fight about bills anymore. We, 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 you, I guess you're going to have to go get a better job, honey. That's real nice, by the way, oh, wife, um, to, to tell your husband who is inane, like in, buried within him a desire to provide. Now, hear me, if he's not working, but if he's given you all he's got, and you're telling him that he's not a good enough provider, you're crushing him. Crushing him. Squeezing the very life of God out of him. That's what you're doing. Okay? But money's the answer. Got to have that. Do you know why money is the answer? Do you know why that is the thing that we always come up with? Because we have a very real enemy that opposes us and wants to kill us and destroy us, right? And so he wants to build money up as a God that we worship. And so, so, so remember, because our, our, our treasure, right? Where your treasure is, your heart is also. I'm here to tell you as a, in our culture that this is our answer for everything. And, and so, you know, if I made more money, this wouldn't be an issue. If we had more money, our marriage would be better. Our family would be stronger. This is John D. Rockefeller kind of mentality. And, and it is idol worship. It makes money into a God. John D. Rockefeller once was asked, uh, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. If we account for uh, inflation at the time of his death, his fortune was worth $336 billion. Just a little bit more. And friends, that kind of mentality will ruin you. 
That kind of mentality will eat your lunch. It'll ruin your marriage. I I, I love you, but I'm just going to say this, okay? Money is not going to fix all of your problems. In fact, if, if, if you begin to pursue it, thinking that it is the answer, it will probably make your problems worse. Do you know why? What happens when you pursue something that is only a symptom of the real problem and you try to treat it? Does it ever actually fix the real problem? The real problem just gets worse and worse and worse. That's why when we run after the false god of money, our lives usually actually get worse, not better. So what do we do? And hear me, this is tough, right? When when life is tough and the bills are stacking up and I've I've got kids getting married or going to school or I've got to pay off loans, like how do I how how is money not the answer for me, Pastor? I don't understand. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to turn to Jesus. And you've got to let Jesus help you. Now, now listen, you don't have to raise your hands. In fact, I want to do this this morning because I get a bad rap around here. People always say I look at them while I preach. I look at all of you while I preach. It's just, it's, I, I love you and the Lord. Don't feel like you're super special. Um, I mean, you are in my heart. You're super special. Um, but but um, just good public speaking, you're supposed to make eye contact with everybody. It's part of the deal. So, so when I'm looking, I, he looked at me. I saw him when he said this point. I was also looking at the person behind you, the one just over to your right and a little to your left. Saw all of them uh, during that point. So, uh, so, so you don't think I'm preaching to anyone in particular. In the early service, I turned around, but I don't want you guys to covet. So I want you to just close your eyes. It's uh, my better side. You got it? Okay. All right, so here's what, here, I want you to close your eyes for a second. Instead of, instead of me preaching to the choir, I want you to close your eyes for a second, okay? And I'm going to ask you a question. Do not raise your hands. I don't really want to know, okay? But just so you know, I'm not preaching to any one person. I just, I'll close your eyes just for a second. Do not fall asleep either. Here's the question I'm asking. You're answering in your head. Ready? How many of you feel like you are struggling financially? I'm struggling financially. I'm really hurting. It's very, very tough. Now, here's the question I'm going to ask. I'm not trying to offend you, just trying to love you. Are you putting your trust in money or are you putting your trust in the Lord? Where is your treasure? Because the Lord stands ready to help but that hell may be shaking some sense into you and saying that you are living a lifestyle that you cannot afford right now. You guys can look up here again. What your family may need, what your marriage may need, what, what may be best for your kids. I, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but here's the truth of it. We're finding this out as we do research in our world. What, what your marriage and your, your family, your kids may actually need, what may be best for them, is actually less money. Is actually you providing less for them and giving them more opportunity to earn and to work. Have you ever heard of a U-curve? It's not hard, it's a a U, like this, right? Uh, We're finding as we do studies that um, there's such a thing called an inverted U-curve, like an upside-down U. If you could imagine with me, one of the studies they've done has to deal with money and and with quality of life. And so uh, if, if the bottom of our graph here is the amount of money that you have from none to very much, and the quality of life is from, from, from very difficult to, to very, very good, 
they find that uh, with, with no money, life is very difficult. When it's poor and, and you don't even have enough food to put on your table, and it's very difficult to succeed, right? It's a very hard place to be. And then as you get some money, your, your quality of life begins to improve. It does. It absolutely does, right? Money does help you pay bills and put food on the table and all those kind of things, right? But they're also finding that there is a place, and unfortunately, we don't have a dollar sign that we can assign to. If you make more than blah, 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 we don't have that. But there is a point of which that that money that, that helped you get this quality of life at some point, that quality of life begins to decrease the more money you make. Because what people have found that have a lot of money is, is that their children have no work ethic. They don't know what it is. They, 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 they say, but, but I, I, I built my business from nothing. My, my father worked three jobs and I learned how to, to work hard. And so I went door to door and I started my own business taking people's trash out in the morning. And, and I, I break a whole company based on that. And I've made millions and millions of dollars. But my kid still lives at home and he's 40. Because he's had everything handed to him in life. And he does not know what it is to work himself. And as parents, we tend to think the more stuff I give my kids, the better off they'll be. The more I pay for this and pay for that and pay for that, the better off they will be in life. And yet, studies are now showing us that may not be the case. And I'm here to tell you, what if that is the Lord confirming that we are chasing after Mamnon? We're chasing after a false god instead of chasing after Jesus. I know that's tough. When life is hard and you feel like money is the answer, I know that's tough to hear, that maybe the answer is less money, that maybe the answer is, is instead reprioritizing. And listen, I, I want you to hear me. Uh, money's not the enemy, by the way. It's amoral. It doesn't have morality attached to it. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's, the pursuit of, it's, it's making money a God that the Bible is against. It's not against you having money. Uh, the Lord uh, uses people with money a lot of times, right? He used Cyrus to help build the temple. Okay? It's not that you can't have money. It's just to say that money can't be the motivator of your life or else something's off. Jesus should be the motivator of your life. And so I just want to encourage you, make sure uh, that, that this struggle is given fully to Jesus. All right, number three, we'll wrap up here in a second. Last thing I want you to see. Uh, Jesus helps us be content with what we have. Jesus helps us be content with what we have. Again, another uh, big struggle And uh, I'll read to you verse 5 again. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Ready? This is huge. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This kind of ties right into what we just talked about. Don't live for the love of money. Don't let that be your motivator. Instead, be content with what you have. And uh, the, the, the question then you ask is why? Why should I be content with what I have? By the way, when you read your Bible, you should ask questions, okay? If you don't read your Bible and ask questions, you're reading it wrong. So, so you ask questions. And God's like, well, well, be content with what you have. And you're like, well, God, why should I be content? And he's like, well, continue reading the sentence. I'll, I'll answer it for you. And so he does. And, and here's the why. Why should I be content with what I have? Keep reading verse 5. Because God has said, never will I leave you or forsake you. Here's why we should be content with what we have, because we have God, right? That's the gospel. 
Like, like the gospel isn't that I'm supposed to be rich or wealthy or own a thousand businesses. Like the heart of the Bible is that God loved me so much that he became man and he lived perfectly in my place and he died the death that I deserve so that I might be reconciled to him and that I might get him. And I got him. That's the, that's the gospel, right? I don't have to wait for heaven. I have a relationship with God now. And so the point is I should be content. So what? My job doesn't pay as much as you. I'm cool with that because I've got Jesus, right? So what? My house isn't as big as somebody else's. It doesn't matter. Jesus lives here, right? So my car doesn't have seat warmers. I live in Texas where it's cold two days a year, right? It doesn't matter because I have Jesus. And that's the point of it. Guys, we spend our life running after Mamnon, the, the, the false god of money and discontentment. When we already have what life is all about, we have God. So let me ask you, what are you running after? I don't know about you, but I'm done with the rest. I don't care about the rest. I just want Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I want to spend time with him when I get up in the morning. When I face troubles in the day, I want him to be the first person I turn to, not the last. Gosh, I stink at that. When I go to bed at night and put my head on my pillow, I want him to be the one. I whisper, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful woman you blessed me with and these kids that I don't deserve. You are way better to me than I deserve. I want that to be my day. And Jesus, hear me. I know it's tough, guys. Because, man, the Joneses, I'm not talking about Brad and Christine, although they have beautiful little babies. They're hard to keep up with. They're living for money, and, and they always have newer stuff. And you look at it, and you want it. Here's the deal. What they don't have is the greatest treasure there ever was. They have not found the treasure in the field. They have not sold everything they possess to own it. But you have. You have. You've given up control of everything in your life and asked Jesus to to be your treasure. You've got him. You are lacking nothing else. So, what do we do with all that? How how on earth do we respond to that kind of great gospel truth, right? Um, I have one application point for you. It's the same one I gave you last week. I'm sorry, I was being lazy. Not really, but here it is. Ready? Jesus stands ready. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He wants to be your help. So let him help you. You remember the deal that I shared with you last week, right? You know the problem with help. You actually have to ask for it. You know, we got our Yukon, and I told you the story. We had a flat tire, and we'd never had a flat tire in that car before. And it had aftermarket uh, uh, lug nuts on it, and they put two different sizes. We're stuck on the side of the road. I have the wrench. I can only get it on three of the lugs. I can't get the tire off. I cannot change the tire. Sitting there. It's hot. It's summer. I, I, my wife's out of the car. I'm out of the car. Our three boys are out of the car. We didn't have faith yet at that point. And, and we're just sitting there hot, and the cars are just going zoom, zoom, zoom. About 20 cars every minute. I'm like, kids, untuck your shirt. Go look sad. Go wave at people. And they just wave as they drive right on by. Nobody stopped, right? In life, in life, guys, people are flying so fast. We're doing so many things. We're so busy. People are not, you're thinking people are going to notice that you need help. 
when you're not living in biblical community? If we're not living in biblical community, nobody's, even in biblical community, it's going to be hard for anybody to know that you need help. Here's how we know that you need help. You pick up the phone, right? You, you shoot a text or an email and say, I am drowning here and I will, I will, I will throw you a life preserver. I'll come tread water and let you sit on my shoulders if I have to, but I've got to know that you need help. God needs you to cry out for help because he stands ready to help you, but he will not force his help upon you. But if you want help, it's available. So let Jesus help you. Three areas we talked about, okay? Number one, would you please let Jesus help your marriage? Okay? I want to be honest. I love you. You're selfish people, and I know it because I am one, right? This is, we're, we're a community full of selfish people, and life gets difficult, and I turn inward even in my marriage, and I, I want what I want. I want. I'm selfish, right? But here's the call. In the midst of difficult times, my marriage should shine, right? It, it should be an example to others about the love of God. And, and so here's what I want you to write down right now. Husbands, like write this down. I, I don't, you don't have to go get the t-shirts made, though I think they'd be pretty cool, okay? You know, the t-shirts, I'm with her, like and it has an arrow or whatever. Just don't, don't put stupid on there. That's not cool. I'm with stupid. I, I, I want to, yeah. I said earlier, I want to hit those guys, but they're always way bigger than me. Run away. Okay. Here's what it should say, right? Little arrow. That's what we're asking God for help with. Ready? She's number two. That doesn't mean you're number one. You're actually way further down the list, but here, here needs to be your prayer, husbands. God, would you help me make my wife number two? Would you be number one in my life and would she be number two? Because the truth is that some of us have put other things in that place and that is God's ordained place for your spouse. Husbands and wives, number two, that's where they should be. And, and I love you, and I know that you love your kids, and I know that they're cute and cuddly, but they're not two. They're three. That's it. And if you allow them to be two, your marriage will suffer, and so will your children. You better make your spouse two. You better treasure them. You better honor them. You've got to make your marriage count. Listen, especially in today's new America, your, your marriage better shine. It better be an example for everybody else of what real love and real commitment and real unity looks like. It better be. That's what you're called to. And you say, but I can't do that. Duh, exactly, Jesus. That's why he's here. He's here to help you, okay? So you start there, all right? Second thing you let him help you with is your money. Man, I, I love you. I'm not, I don't want all, I, I don't need to, don't bring me your budget. I don't want to see it. Here's who you take your budget to, Jesus. You take it to Jesus. I love you, but you know what? You are not only accountable to God for 10% of what you give. That's what most Christians think. I'm, I, I just have to, if I give my 10%, I'm good. I, I've, I've done, I've checked it off my list. You are accountable to God for 100% of all that he gives you. It's all his, all of it. How are you spending it? Has your answer been, well, if we make more money, our kids will be better. If we make more money, our marriage will be stronger. How's that working? I see a lot of tired, weary people. I don't see anybody that's, that's actually got it all figured out. So what if God instead wants us to bring everything before him, all of it, and say, Jesus, here's all of it. 
Tell me if I need to take something out, and you tell me if there's something I need to add in. But let Jesus do that. He'll help you with that, right? And then lastly, um, I would please, please ask him to help you be content. And I, th- I just think that's a little prayer, to be honest. Lord, Lord, would you, would you help me understand all that I really have in you? Help me understand all that I really have in you because in you, I have more than enough. I'm, I'm done. Guys, when Jesus called me and when he saved me, I was done. I'm done. If I do nothing else in my life, but that moment that I receive Christ, my life is wonderful, right? I've accomplished everything that, that I could ever hope to accomplish. I have God. I have God. This is all gravy, man. All this, this is just stuff that make my biscuits taste better. You know, that's all this is. And I have God. What about you? What about you? Is he more than enough for you? All right? Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you um, for being so good and so loving. Would you allow us and give us the strength and the courage to ask you for help this morning? It's because, Lord, we come in here this morning and many of us uh, have been struggling. For some, it's been our marriages. It's just, just stuff that we don't want to talk about, stuff we've been trying to hide, been trying to act like everything is okay, and it's not. Some of us here this morning, we, we, um, even without knowing it, it's just happened. They, just, they grew into that spot. They, they started by crawling into bed in the middle of the night, but then they, just, they took away that number two spot from our spouse. And as much as we love them and as much as they look like us, We've got to kick them back down into their rightful place as number three. God, would you help the parents that are struggling with that do that? It's, that's not a, a, a loveless uh, thing to do. In fact, that's the most loving thing we can do is show our kids how important marriage is. Our marriage needs to matter. So God, would you take the spouses all over this place this morning and would you just supernaturally, would you sew their hearts together right now by, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you mesh their hearts together in such a way that they, they beat as one? Would you restore that intimacy and fellowship in our marriages, God? Would you help make our marriages matter? I just ask for that, God. Lord, for some of us here, we are tired and we are weary because um, in truth, we've been chasing after an idol. And there's not a good way to say that. But, but in our problems, uh, in the things we face in this world, we've tried to figure it out. And our answer has is, is always been this thing called money. We, we keep feeling like if we just have a little bit more, that'll be enough. And yet we're so empty. And Jesus, what we need, what we need more than anything else, is not another dollar bill, not another 20, not another 100. What we need is an extra measure of your grace. What we need is a gentle whisper. I love you, my child. Come home. You've strayed. Come home. God, would you work in our lives, in our finances, in our marriages again, in our homes? Lastly, Lord, I just I pray that you would help us to, uh, to, to, to know and to see what we have in you. That in you, Jesus, we're done. We've got it. We've got what it's all about. We have you, God, and that is more than enough. Would you help us be content today in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So to pray through this message, uh, I think there's only one like, legitimate, okay response. 
Uh, and I think that's worship. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I, I, have you read through the Exodus lately? Have you read through Exodus? Do you know why Moses kept going to Pharaoh and saying, hey, let my people go? Do you remember what it was about? Every time, there's a reason. So that they may worship God. So that they may worship God. So that they may worship God. The older I get, the more I'm, I'm convinced. This, this is our goal. The, the, the point of all preaching should be able to lead us into worship of God. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you, would you worship God because you're not alone? Because he stands with you and because he stands ready to help you, to help your marriage, to help your money, to help you be content with him, that he's more than enough. So could we stand together this morning? Would you be able to, to, to worship God and to sing this song unto him just to say, God, you, you truly are more than enough for me. I'm okay with nothing more than just you. Would you sing those words with us this morning?